Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. We're starting our I Dare You series, uh, which is uh, our summer series, and uh, uh, we're just really excited by this. It's, uh, we, we finished uh, the Adventure Starts Here series, um, which is, was very much about how you set your life up for adventure, whereas the I Dare You um, is kind of the next step. It's kind of like just putting everyone on the front foot and putting a little bit of a challenge in your life and saying, come on, let's just take on some challenges personally, rather than just hearing a message which has this spiritual kind of, uh, uh, you know, this spiritual challenge that makes you go, hmm. And then you go home and eat your dinner and go, hmm, what was that? And uh, and next week you hear it all again. And uh, so so this week we're going to be, from over the summer, we're going to be setting some challenges um, and uh, to take on the dare uh, that God has set for our lives. Um, I think before we start, though, I I think it's worth um, talking about the elephant not in the room in the country, uh, which is called UK independence. And... uh, um, the thing is, in this country, in this room, there are people here who voted to remain and there are people here that voted to leave. And, and the reasons for are very personal. Um, and I really believe that when things like these uh, elections take place um, and you have these momentous uh, times in, 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 an, in a country, it's really important that the church understands what we're here for. Um, we, we all have political influences and political thoughts. We lean maybe to the left or to the right. We, we, have, uh, we may be more socially or more um, sort of aware of social issues or it may be uh, y- you may be a more of a capitalist kind of process sort of thinking, more right-wing. Uh, and there's all these different sort of lean of thought. But we are first and foremost the church. Yeah. And, and we leave our political inclinations behind at the door and we actually put those in a place where we say Jesus Christ is the king of our lives and he's also the king of this nation. And I really believe that our nation is a nation that is going through extraordinary shift and change. And there's one thing you have to say because it's according to scripture, God is leading our nation. He's leading it. And and if we don't know what's going on, it's okay because God does. Uh, And he's in charge. uh, And and it's not all doom and gloom. I was brought up in the south of England. I was brought up with a um, south of England. Everybody is conservative. Um, And uh, you know that down there it's sort of brought up. So we moved up to Scotland and discovered that everybody was Labour. And now that everybody's SNP. So they changed their mind. People changed their minds. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so but you get these kind of political sways, etc. And one of the things that I discovered was that you step into, when you step into a world where people have a completely different mindset, there's two things you can do. You can, you can fight against it or you can sit and ask yourself why uh, and get into the sort of flow and ask what's the mindset, what's the, what's the attitude, what's the reasoning, what's, what's behind all of those things. And, 
and you begin to discover that there's all sorts of things going on that you weren't aware of because you, you hadn't asked those questions. Yeah. You hadn't been in that environment. Well, the country has made a decision. The UK has made a decision. And that has an effect on all of us. And the consequences of those things are, are huge for the nation. I don't think they're just huge for the nation. They're actually huge for Europe. They're huge for the global effects. We have the most remarkable things happening in the world today. And we don't understand the concept. And, and we can, you know, the press just makes all these jokes and all these dreadful people, etc. And, and everyone, the idea that Donald Trump might be president sends shockwaves across, you know, just because of the way he's perceived. But we don't know. We don't know. Supposing God wants him in charge. He had Nebuchadnezzar, right? And he was mad. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. We, can, well, yeah, we can be super. I mean, you know, we can be like... But God raises up people for, for seasons and for reasons. Um, and he knows what he's doing. So what we have to do is we have to come back together as a church and we have to go, Jesus Christ... Yeah is the Lord of this house and he's the Lord of our lives and he's the Lord of this nation. And we have that as a number one priority and we declare and we believe God that this adventure that the country has set itself, this path that the country has set itself on is a path that can't be reversed, it can't be changed, it has been set in place. There's There's a huge momentum shifting in directions we didn't realize. Now... We've got to pray. We've got to pray that the church rises to its opportunity to see people who come into a place of turmoil, a place of where they are lost, and declare that there is a far greater agenda going on than just their financial pockets and their social justice. It is about the, the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. It's about the eternal security of their soul. It's about the redemption of their families and the healing of their marriages. It's about the restoration of family life. It's about the restoration of, of the heart that only Jesus Christ can provide. And we have to believe God above and beyond everything that goes on around us because we all have an inclination of political, politicalness, but you know what? We're all have a little bit of right and a lot of, a lot of wrong. Because actually, when you talk, to, talk about politics, none of us actually know what we're talking about. <laughs> and, but when it comes to Jesus Christ, we really know what we're talking about. We know what we've got to give to this nation. And so let's give him and bring the fullness of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I dare you. That's a great, it's a great line, isn't it? It's a challenge that you, uh, you, you kind of very difficult to resist an idea, you, isn't it? And uh, over the years, I've had many dares that I've completed. Um, and too many for, um, that I could repeat, actually, for legal reasons and, uh, and for safety reasons. Um, one, the thing was that most of the dares I did were done at a time when issues of legality and safety were not the top priority. Uh, it was far more about the bravado and, hey, let's just do this. It should be fun. And uh, so, and, and over the years, I've done all sorts of crazy things, and some of them, some of them just... Um, 
just pushing the boundaries of the levels of your fear and the boundaries. But the amazing thing is that the hardest things I have done are not jumping off 40 foot cliffs, which I've done and I'm frightened of heights, right? So jumping off a cliff, it, it just, you know how there are certain fears that you can't make sense of. It's like people frightened of spiders, right? It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason it's this big. It doesn't, even if it bites you, it's not going to kill you. It's, I've been bitten by a spider in Scotland. It drew blood. And uh, not for long, because then it was... And uh, <laughs> squashed. <laughs> and, uh, so, but fright, spiders don't bother. I can, pick, I can pick them up. I can strip them. And uh, it, they don't bother me. I don't understand people are frightened of any kind of animal or anything. I don't understand that. I'm, I'm not frightened of animals of any kind. Uh, I think, unless, of course, a tiger was about to eat me, then I would be more respectful of the creature. But... <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's, there's a rationale to that kind of fear. Um, but to most fears, I mean, uh, we, we were teasing Gabby because she's frightened of snakes. She's so frightened of snakes, she can't even mention the word snake. <laughs> you mention the word snake, she goes, oh, stop this, stop this, stop this. And we go, snake, 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 snake. And, uh, and she's, she's frightened of it. And, and it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any, any sense. And so we get, I get, fr- I'm frightened of heights. It doesn't, it bothers me that I'm frightened of heights, so I took up climbing many years ago. Now, many of you know that. And uh, I used to do sort of wall climbing, and, um, uh, and Andrew and I used to go down to the cliffs down at, at Torrey, and we would, we would um, abseil down those and then climb back up again. And, and uh, we'd do it because it petrified the living daylights out of me every time I did it. But I had to do it because I don't like being afraid of things. And, and um, But the thing that was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. The dares that I found the hardest thing weren't any of those things. Actually, the greatest challenge I found was, was simply, the, I remember one of the, the great fears of my life that as I, at 16 years of age, was praying out loud in a, in a home group. That still bears marks on my soul, <laughs> on my memory. It wasn't the, can I jump or not jump? It was praying out loud. Because when I was 16 years old, I was praying out. And I remember it so clearly because when I finished praying, I'd made such a mess of the prayer. I'd gotten so confused as to what I was saying. It didn't make any sense. I went, amen. And I went, I went home and I went, I am never, ever in my whole life, ever praying out loud again. <laughs> I, because it was, but fortunately, we were part of this traditional sort of home group session where everyone had to pray. You pray in a circle. Do you remember those days? You, everyone would pray in a circle. There was, you, didn't, you had no opt-out. And there would be people there. There would be, people, there would be guys there, Jim's age. And then and there was no sort of youth group or anything. You just went to the home group. And so there were young people there and older people there. And everyone prayed. And I had to pray. I was there. I had to pray. And so I'm there the next week. And you, no choice. Everyone's sitting there. Kevin, come on. You can pray. And it was everyone understood because they were there the, the week before. They knew. And so I was dead again. I had to pray. And so I had to pray out loud. And so, and so you know, it's amazing how there are certain dares that you have to do that it, it's often seen as the things like these dangerous things which are seen to be the most, the most challenging. But really, 
they're not actually, the, the most challenging are the things that are far more personal. Yeah. They are the things that affect us in our relationship with other people. They are how we interact with society. They're how we interact with the community, with our family. It's how we push the boundaries of our own sense of identity, our own sense of fear and, and, and sense of self-worth and value and that personal confidence that challenges us. And, and when we push those boundaries, then we start stepping into the areas in where God can really move in our life. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to encourage you this morning, as we enter this series, we're going to be setting out, um, setting out some dares. But I want to read to you Luke chapter 10, because this is perhaps one of the most profound scriptures when it comes to how Jesus trusts us with his message, his power and his purpose. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, it says this. I'm going to read uh, the New King James Version this morning. Do so. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. It's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) Carry neither money bag, knapsack or sandals and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whichever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it would be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. Now, the reason why this is a profound scripture is because Jesus sets apart 70 unnamed individuals that we know nothing of. And we have to understand something about the disciples that Jesus has raised. We know about the 12 and we know how frail, weak and human they were. These are the 12 that Jesus has been pouring his life and ministry into. He set them apart and he is discipling them, training them and developing them. He spends time with them. There are others that follow around, but they don't have that personal time with Jesus. All right. He's not so much close to them. He's close to his 12. He's not so close to the others. So he sets apart 70, 70 people who haven't been trained. To the same degree. Who haven't spent that time with Jesus. Jesus found the twelve. He prayed and fasted to which twelve he should set apart. He got those from God. He got the names from the Father. And he goes and he says, I'll have you, I'll have you, I'll have you. But the others, he chose them because they were just there. Are you with me? He, He... we can, the scripture doesn't say Jesus went off and prayed and said, which one shall I choose? 
He just set them apart. Why did he set them apart? I believe he set them apart because they were available. You know what? Sometimes we just got to be available. You know, that the 12, there are unique and specific giftings for certain people. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to be in the right place at the right time. You just got to be there that God may be able to do something with you. If you're available, he can use you. Here's the other thing. He entrusts upon them his message, his purpose, his name, his ministry, his power. He entrusts upon these people who aren't qualified. They don't know anything about anything. They've got all sorts of mindsets, attitudes and all kinds of stuff. But Jesus entrusts them anyway because his purposes of power are far greater than their weakness. You will understand that when God calls you and dares you for a challenge, it's people say, oh, if, if I get trained, I can do that. The world is obsessed with training. I discovered that training really doesn't, it might give you information, but it never gives you skill. Yeah. It will never give, there's only one thing that will give you skill, and that's doing the job. Yeah. And there's only one way to do the job, and that's do the job. Yeah. <laughs> it's just get out there and have a go. I could tell you till I'm blue in the face on how to saw wood, how to pick up a handsaw and, and, and cut that thing uh, square every time. It wouldn't make any meaning to you unless you can saw. And the only other way you would do it is by getting a saw and getting a piece of wood and having a go and, and jumping the saw across and scraping your knuckle and going, oh, man, it looked a lot easier when he did it. And then coming back and having another go. The skill is discovered in the execution of the job. Jesus sent out 70 who were unskilled. And they discovered in the power of his name. In the ministry that he had imparted upon them. That there is an incredible victory. An incredible authority in the name of Jesus. We've got to stop thinking that we need just. We need training and developing and understanding of our mind and knowledge. But we're going to understand this. God has called us to go and to do something that we are not naturally comfortable with. It sits beyond the realm of your comfort zone. Jesus has called us to do something. Now, here's the thing. Here's the dare that came to the 70 that Jesus... The dare wasn't go so much. It's because, I mean, if God says, do you go? But here's the deal in the going. Don't take food or money. What? Don't greet anyone on the road. That's, in that culture, that's about the rudest. I mean, it wasn't just like, don't greet them. You know how, like, when you walk down, we don't greet people so much. When we, but... The further out the city you get, the more you speak to people, don't you, as you greet them. And you sort of go, hi, how are you doing? And you keep going, generally, unless um, when I, where I walk the dog often, and the people who are walking the animals down there are of, of an age where um, they had a career once, right? So they, they have time on their hands. And, and so it's not just the case of walking past. For most of them, I have to stop and chat. And, and, uh, but in this age, 
It wasn't just, it would have been a stop and greet. It would have been, there is this, this process in which they would have greeted one another. There's, there's a culture of, of stopping and spending time just chatting through. And it took them ages to get anywhere. But people weren't really in a hurry so much then. They weren't, they weren't following a watch or a time schedule in the way that we, we do. And Jesus said, don't do any of that because I need you to get there. So he's telling them to do all these things which are completely counterculture. He's challenging the mindset. Don't do the thing that you're comfortable with. This is what I want you to do. Don't take take food. Don't take money. And then I want you to eat whatever you're given, which we're talking to Jews here, which is a, a major challenge. Stay with whoever welcomes you and don't try and find a better place or somebody a little bit better you can share your ministry with because you might find, oh, yeah, those people, yeah, they've got issues. I'm going to try and find someone a little bit more receptive or, or, or better kind of ground you can, more fertile soil, higher quality people. I'm amazed the amount of people that I spend time with, Christians, and, that, and, and they, they, I spend time with pastors, and they're talking about the church they want to build, and, and they talk about the type of people they want to reach, and, and they're very specific about the type of people. I discovered this, that, that you just got to pastor whoever Jesus gives you. Yeah. And, and, and if you can't pastor, I remember one pastor saying to me that we had only been running for about four weeks and we had a, an interesting congregation of people that were coming along to check us out. And some of them were, well, they were interesting. And, and the pastor said, and he, he said to me, this very wise uh, older pastor in the economy, he says, Kev, he says, if you can't pastor those, you won't get anyone else. <laughs> in other words, just love who you've got and work with it. And find out, and Jesus says to the, the 70, he says, don't try getting, gaining favor or, or trying to work out. Just, just go with the people who welcome you. And the people who welcome you are the people I can work with. Yeah. See, see, God is just interested in an open heart. Yeah. Not into people who've just kind of got it sewn up intellectually. Yeah. Or sewn up financially. Or they've got a better house with a better, with a better spare room. <laughs> Their food is just a little bit better. <laughs> Sometimes those were the people that God called to minister to the disciples as they spread the gospel. But for the most part, they were just people. And God called the 70 to go out and do something beyond their comfort zone. When Sean and I were called to plant the church here in Aberdeen, we never had Aberdeen on our mind. We lived in the south coast of England, close to Brighton. And there, were ch- there was a church in Brighton. There was a church in Eastbourne that was part of our network. They were planting a church across, across in Bognor Regis. They had a church in Guildford. Um, and there was a church in Barnstable and Swindon. And that was about it in the southeast. And then we had one in East Kilbride and one in Eyre. Don't think there were any other churches at that time. And so our natural mind was, well, we live here near Brighton. That's Eastbourne. Maybe we'll go to Hastings. I'm glad we didn't. Hastings is not the most exciting town in the world. And, uh, but, but, you know, maybe we'll go to Hastings. Or, or maybe we'll go a really long way, like London, because that was 50 miles away. <laughs> 
and, and but we thought, oh, yeah, London's a bit, it's a bit far. And Sherrod said to me, I'm not just going anywhere. And, uh, and so you, you have this mindset of where your comfort zone will take you, what you're comfortable with. But then God calls us to Aberdeen, and Aberdeen doesn't make any sense because it's outside of the safety zone of, of family and business and, and home life and, and pastors and friends and, and all of the little comforts you can draw back on. And it was, it was, a, it was a place so far away that it, in a, it, it meant that we had no back door. We had no return. We had no ability to go back to what we had had. Here's the thing about when Jesus sends you out. He sends you out without a back door. Jesus says to them, don't take money, don't take food. Why? Because I want you to learn how to trust me. Here's the dare. You've got to trust me. You've got to understand that I'm going to take care of you. And I won't fail you. God puts a dare upon your life. And he dares you to trust him and know that he will take care of you. You know, um, in Psalms 22 verse 16, this is one of those <laughs> is one of those depressing psalms that David. You know how David is quite emotional, isn't he? And quite soulful, and and he just he just says it as he feels it. You know, and he, this is one of those verses uh, psalms. In Psalms 22:16 says this: "For dogs have surrounded me." <laughs> congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count on my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. He's actually prophesying about Jesus, by the way, but he doesn't know he is. And my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. In the King James Version, they say, from the unicorn. <laughs> Entirely random. I had to look, at the, to the, uh, had to look into the Hebrew to find out what it was. And it turns out that it's an animal they know not of, but they assume it's some kind of wild um, cow. <laughs> <laughs> You have answered me. Look at the 22. This is what I love about David. I will declare to your, your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Yeah. Here's David with the dare. He's surrounded by people he calls dogs. I assume he doesn't like them. <laughs> or does he like dogs? He's not a dog person. <laughs> and so here's David. And he's surrounded by... By people who he assumes want to kill him, want to take his life. He's feeling depressed. And yet in the midst of it, this praise comes out of it. I will declare your name. He's saying, Lord, you dared me. I'm taking up the challenge. I'm responding to the dare that you have placed upon my life. And here's the thing about the dare that we've got to take on. 
He says, in, let me go back to verse 5, and I just want to reiterate this that I spoke on before. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages, do not go from house to house. I remember being in Ukraine back in um, 1999, and um, we went to stay with these pastors, uh, and they were ex- extremely poor. Um, it was they had heating was on and off. The, uh, communism had collapsed, and capitalism, well, it never took off, did it, in Ukraine? And uh, so, so they had this financial sort of vacuum, and and it was a, a chaotic. The KGB was still in operation, and we had to have these special visas. We couldn't go in as as pastors or or missionaries. We had to go in as as charity workers. Uh, to support people in need. That was how we got visas. And um, so we, um, we were sort of traveling there and we were in this house and it was very, very cold. It was the middle of winter. And, and there they are giving us soup, um, which was basically sort of cabbage boiled in water with a lump of fat sort of floating around in it, which was your meat. And, but this is their food. I mean, they can't afford it. And, and then they would have like, bread with a bit of dried meat that was kind of put on the bread and put on the table. And then in the morning, I get up, and that was dinner. In the morning, I discover it's the same for breakfast, and it's been left on the table from the night before. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be a long two weeks. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you just, you've got to go with what you've got because they're actually, they were giving us, from the generosity of their heart. They weren't getting any money to feed us. And it was costing them. I took one lad to McDonald's um, who was um, taking care of us. And we went to Kiev and there was one McDonald's in Kiev. And that one McDonald's meal for him was what the entire family spent on food for the whole week. So for me to buy him a McDonald's, which cost... Four quid um, was for him, it was like going to the moon. There was no way in the world he could afford to buy or would pay that kind of money from McDonald's. And he ate it. He goes, was that it? (laughs) 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 Well, I don't want to come here anymore. (laughs) And Because McDonald's at that time was for the posh people. It was for the wealthy people. And, you know, but here's the thing, right? What I want to say about the dare is that the dare that Christ gives you to minister and go beyond your comfort zone comes, it's conditional. And it's conditional upon the values and the principles that Christ has for his kingdom. So it's not, you see people going, oh, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to tell the whole world about Jesus. And they go out and they start preaching on the streets and they're doing all these different things. And it sounds very exciting, but... Actually, Jesus said, he didn't say go out and just tell complete strangers. He said, go out and make a friend, stay in the house and build a relationship with them. And then tell them about me and minister the love of God out of a relationship that has consequences, has responsibility. See, once you build a friendship and a relationship, you can't get out of that. You've got a responsibility to follow up on it. 
There's a lot of Christians, I've met a lot of people that, oh, I just want to go out and tell complete strangers. Well, you know what? I've been on the streets and told complete strangers about Jesus before. And for the most part, it has no impact. Sometimes it's a divine connection and it changes a person's life. But that actually, statistically, they've proven, is about 1% of the time. For the 99% of the time, you'll meet a complete stranger, you'll tell them about Jesus, then you might even pray for them, and then, and then what? Because you walk away and you have no more responsibility. That is the easiest day you will ever take on in your life, and it is utterly irresponsible because it means that you have no more responsibility for their life. Yeah. I had an evangelist come through, he came through, and he came into our house um, some years ago. He came through and he said, he said, oh, I've just gone through Ellen. I've gone through the town of Ellen and I led nine people to the Lord. How did you do that? Nine people? I've gone through Ellen every day of my life. I've never met anyone to the Lord when I'm walking down the street. Most of them walk around me. <laughs> He's an evangelist. Evangelists do lead people to the Lord. They do it all everywhere. He said, I led nine people to the Lord. Nine people. Have you got their names? No idea who they are. Wait a sec. You've just changed people's mind, the heart, the attitude. You've had this conversation and you don't know who that... That's like giving birth to a baby, leaving on the side of the road and going, you'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) The kingdom of God, Jesus sent them out. He dared them to love people as they are first and draw them into the kingdom. To live in their house, to eat their food, to drink their, their, their uh, drink and to, and to participate in their life, to share with their family, to celebrate and honour who they are, that they may discover the power and the love of Christ in you, in the acceptance of their lives, knowing that God has a greater destiny for them. And that is the dare, that is the responsibility of the church. You know, John Wesley discovered when he was preaching, I love reading some of the um, John Wesley's journal. You can get them on, you can actually get it on biblehub.com and you can read the John Wesley journals and it's just hilarious, the stuff that he had to go through. And But John Wesley preached the gospel in a town called Axminster, down in the southwest of England, where you get Axminster carpets from. Now, it's the most expensive carpets in the world. And and he preached the gospel in this God-forsaken town, and the whole town responded, and there was an absolute revival. And many, many um, hundreds, probably thousands, came to the Lord and repented, and he went away from there, and he go, and then he came back a couple of years later, and he discovered that the town was in a worse state than it was before he responded to the gospel. Because he just preached the gospel. And it's there that he realized that he had to have a method that created Methodism. And there he decided, we need to disciple people not just to lead them to Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to give you a dare. Here's the dare. It's not just telling people about Jesus, because I've told people about Jesus. You can tell people about Jesus. It's actually quite easy. The dare is to go and make a friend with someone that's just a stretch beyond your comfort zone. To build a friendship with people that don't vote the way you vote. (laughs) That don't colour the walls with colour that you like. That 
go to places on holiday you wouldn't dare go to. That have a life that you're not comfortable with. It could be, they could be rich or they could be poor. There are a lot of people that live lives well outside our comfort. I dare you to just see whether you can hold a friendship together long enough that one day you could lead them home to Jesus Christ. I dare you. Stretch beyond the boundaries of your limited life, your limited comfort zone, and just love somebody else just because someone needs to love them. Reach out and touch their life. Gerald was saying when she was trying, I was coming home, the car pressure light on the car when she's driving home from Inverness, car pressure light came on and she phoned me up and said, I don't know whether we've got a puncture or not. And she was in Keith. I said, well, just go to Tesco's and check the tire pressure there. So she stopped and she said, oh, this, this guy came past and, and he, um, he stopped to see whether I needed a hand. And then they had this discussion in the car afterwards, like, because they're women, men always ask women if they need a hand. But if it was a guy, he wouldn't ask them. Because <laughs> it was true, isn't it? Well, there's a reason for that, because men are wired to be protective of women. This naturally, most, most men will see a woman in the, and go, oh, I need, but if it's a guy, he's all right. <laughs> and guys appreciate that because if another guy can come and say do you need help to do up your tyre pressure <laughs> excuse me <laughs> but the, la- the ladies you know some of them have got nail varnish and they you know and they don't necessarily I mean you know but there's always a woman who'd be offended right so you have to but here's the thing right just make that conversation with people. Just stretch beyond. Stop to the, and talk to the person who walks past with the dog. Shake hands with the person who you don't normally shake hands with. Give them a compliment. Cheryl's got an amazing way of speaking to people. She meets them. You should just walk up to people in, in, the, in the shopping mall and go, I love your coat. It doesn't work if you're a man, by the way, because otherwise <laughs> it just leads to conversations that are awkward, right? So you know, she goes, I love your... Where did you get that from? And you see people just melt. The hardest faces just melt. Thank you. I normally say to guys, I've, I walked up to a guy driving a Bentley. He just parked in a nice, beautiful Bentley. I walked up to him and I went... That is the most beautiful car. I, that is the car of my dreams. He goes, and he says to me, he says, well, keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> but I could tell that he was waiting for the rudeness because people are often rude to people who are wealthy. Drive nice cars and go, just give them a compliment. Give a guy a compliment about the car he drives. He'll be your friend forever. <laughs> Every man likes to feel like they've done something well. Compliment their manhood. Well, I mean, you know, their manliness. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> don't, you know, don't come. Now, anyway. <laughs> Oh, 
hope that gets deleted off the podcast. (laughs) You know, there is a dare for our lives. Stretch beyond our comfort. Touch someone's life. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.